the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. How would you explain this to me? I mean, why are people calling you a traitor to your race? So <laughs> I get that pretty often. That's a pretty common tactic. And there's a, there's a couple aspects to it, I think. There's, there's one aspect where if you don't tow a particular ideological line, then you're considered a traitor and you're considered uh, an outcast. And so there's that aspect where it's this bullying aspect and trying to pull you back into the fold. And then there is the other aspect where there is a, a certain ideological commitment that if you don't believe these things, then you're not actually black. You're not actually uh, part of this group. And you know, people like Nicole Hannah-Jones have expressed this explicitly, that there is a difference between being physically black and being uh, politically black, <laughs> which is just nonsensical makes no sense but this is how they justify the ideology it's like listen if you don't go along with progressivism and if you don't adhere to these actual ideas then you can't be part of our club and we're going to bully you and call you names and and treat you like an outcast but you know it's just one of those things it comes with the territory well it reminds me of when uh, joe biden was campaigning and said uh if you don't vote for me you ain't black i mean it, it it doesn't make sense to me because you've got whites, you've got Jews, you've got Asians, you've got Latinas, Latinos who are all over the map politically. So why people of one particular persuasion, color in this case, skin color, for God's sakes, expect everyone to think the same way they do is, is strange to me. How do you internally, when this first started happening to you and, and, and uh, trust me, I can, I can guess how how it must feel, but how did you get past it? How do you have the fortitude to get to to deal with it and let those things sort of slide off of you? So it, it wasn't always that way. When I when I was growing up, I was very susceptible to it. And you know, you want to be part of the in group and you want to be accepted. That's just human nature. And part of being accepted is buying into those narratives of uh, victimhood and oppression and those sort of things. And I bought into that when I was growing up. It wasn't until I started to embrace concepts of individuality and individualism and move away from collective identity and really come into an idea of who I was as a, as a person and who I was as an individual in Christ uh, and place my identity there rather than in my race, that I started to see the deception and see how ridiculous such an such a prospect would be to say that just because I have a certain skin color, I have to identify a certain way and I have to 
carry this particular ideology. So it's a, for me, it's a difference between having a sense of individualism and seeing people as unique individuals versus having a collective ideology and seeing people as group collectives and believing that because they have a certain race, racial makeup or certain ancestry or certain skin color or whatever it may be, that that puts them in this sort of collective identity. And because of that, that elevates them to this uh, this certain group level rather than an individual level. And so I think that's what it, I mean, the other aspect too, I would say too, is, is that it's a tool of manipulation. So yeah. when people have this sort of collective uh, identity that they that they push on people they know that they can control people through emotional manipulation and that desire to be included so you know nobody wants to be c- accused of racism nobody wants to be accused of being an uncle tom or being a race trader or whatever uh it, so if you can get into their emotions you can control them that way and i think that's what joe biden was doing when he said if you don't vote for me you're not black he knew that it was a tool for manipulation and that people would respond that way I, I hope more people saw right through it. I don't know. What what was it in your life that spurred this change from buying into this collectivism, this, um, you know, this sense of I am a victim automatically because of this color of my skin to a sense of individual individuality? Yeah, I don't think it was any big event. Um, it was something that happened gradually over time as I as I grew closer to God and I started to get more ingrained in my Christian identity. Uh, if I had to point to one thing when I really started to get interested in politics and interested in uh, different ideologies and things like that was around the time that Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the racial narratives around that were all false and they were manipulative and intentionally so. And you know, it, it may have even started before that with the Trayvon Martin stuff when I really started to uh, recognize that something was wrong, but it was definitely the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson where I really started to pay attention to what was going on. And, you know, the media is coming out saying, you know, he had his hands up and uh, this, this white police officer just killed him just because he was black. And then all of these racial narratives, this intentional racial divisiveness that was going on in our country. And then uh, you, you have, uh, you have president Obama coming out and, and, and supporting these narratives and i'm just saying what what is happening like this yeah. none of this is true and so that that made me question everything that i had thought before that i that i thought was true about race and about racial outcomes and about police and everything else and once you start looking into those things and start looking into the statistics one of my friends put me on the thomas soul and i started reading his his uh, uh exposés on on race and, and things like that and and i it really was eye opening and it, i i hesitate to use the term <laughs> wake but that's what happened it was like <laughs> i i <laughs> i i became awake and, and so not woke but i became awake <laughs> It, has this been a a lonely? Well, you said a friend turned you on to Thomas Sowell, which yeah. uh, I, I I'm a huge fan of Thomas Sowell, um, and Sowell, not yeah. not not because of the color of his skin, but because of what he says, what he writes is so meaningful, um, and he's so honest. But w- has this been a a lonely journey or one that you found people want to join you in? I think I think it's both. Um... There's a lot of animosity and a lot of pushback. 
and that's to be expected. You know, when when you speak truth, uh, people find it offensive and they don't want to hear it. But I've also found that there are a lot of people who feel the same way and they're just not sure how to speak out or they're afraid. You know, yeah. like they're, yeah. they're, and sometimes that's for very good reason because you know people have lost their jobs for saying the wrong things and they've had mobs attack them for saying the wrong things. So it's legitimate in, in a lot of cases, but I've had so many people send me private messages and say, listen, I, I agree with you 100%, but I just can't say the things that you say because I, I don't want to lose my job or I don't want people to attack me. And so there's the, those very real fears. So it, 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 it's been a little bit of both. Um, but again, but, that, that speaks to the manipulation you talked about when, cause I sure. found that I found the same thing. Uh, a lot of women who I connect with, they, they, they don't want to repost what I post because they're afraid that, that again is that manipulation you spoke of earlier that we can be manipulated by fear of losing our job, of being canceled, of being thrown out of the social groups. We, we perhaps appreciate. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you see an end to that. Like this cancel culture is, this is America. You're supposed to be able to say whatever you want. And, and no, and you know, I I realize it's just the government and in the constitution that cannot slap back at you, but this is, this is, this has gone too far. Well, I mean, yeah. When you talk about free speech and ideals of liberty, yeah, it's, it's the government that's, you know, that's supposed to be restricted to, but it, it's supposed to be the foundation of our country, the foundational yes. ideals of our country. Yeah. And so you would hope that everybody would operate by those ideals, even though it's not explicit. But yeah, still, um, th- there's this sense in our culture that uh, if you don't go along with progressive dogma, mm-hmm. then you're not compassionate or you're not empathetic and um, you need to be canceled. And that's widespread. And it's unfortunate. Now, whether I think that's changing, I, I do. I, I am optimistic about it. I think that more and more people are becoming aware of what's actually happening um, and they're starting to push back on that. And I think with the critical race theory stuff, I think explicitly you, you see all these parents at school board meetings pushing back against it. Yeah. And you yeah. start to see more and more people uh, standing up and speaking out against these things once they recognize what's actually happening. Now, it's difficult. I'm not going to say it's an easy thing because these people have so deeply infiltrated our culture in every aspect of our culture, every aspect of our society, that it's going to be difficult to get around it because they control so many of the levers of power at this point and uh, so much of our culture. So, and, and they're the loudest. That's the other thing too. They're very yes. loud and obnoxious, even if they're a smaller percentage. So it yeah. makes them seem like they have, they have way more uh, yeah. power control than they do. Exactly. The, their volume kind of belies their size. But you mentioned those three letters, CRT, critical race theory. There are some that I've spoken to who don't believe that it's in our school systems. I know you believe otherwise. We're going to discuss that with Leonidas Johnson, whose pronouns, by the way, are leave me alone. I love those pronouns. Okay, critical race theory, CRT. I've had people challenge me to, to, to prove that it's being taught in our schools, but no matter how many examples I come up with, they refuse. They say you're cherry picking. Well, I mean, that those... I can come up with enough examples that it's no longer cherry picking. This stuff is there. I don't know if you saw the, the, in the last 24, 48 hours, Disney has um, a cartoon, an animated show called the proud family. 
and yeah. they put out a rap song about how they are owed reparations and Abraham Lincoln did not free the slaves and on and on and on. And, and I, I wonder what your reaction is to this very loud, uh, very one-sided, very angry rap song by, for kids, um, it being promoted by Disney. Yeah, it's awful. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book because of those things, uh, permeating our culture and permeating our society and how it not only affects adults, but how it's affecting children. Kids, I mean, yeah. you, you look at, you look at that, a cartoon like that. And what is the objective? The, <laughs> the objective has to be to infuse a sense of victimhood and mm -hmm. anger and resentment and grievance yes. in children. Yes. And that's what you're, and so you're building these sort of negative emotions and these negative aspects into children and teaching them that those are virtuous, that these are heroic things to do. So everybody, like at the end of it, everybody's cheering for those, those kids after they do their little thing and they're, they're validated and it's reinforced. And so kids are learning like, oh, like this is virtuous. This is how I should behave. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so toxic. It's so, so toxic. But this, this idea that, that critical race theory is not in, in schools or it's not, in, you know, or that we don't know what it is, that's, that's the primary argument. It's like, you just don't know what it is. You don't know, understand critical race theory. You're not enlightened enough. Right. <laughs> you have no idea. But I mean, like, if you look at the founders and you read their actual, uh, their actual essays and their books and things that they say, they say that critical race theory is an academic discipline uh, that sees basically sees racism in all of our institutions and imbibed in our entire society. So white supremacy is at the foundation of our society and in everything that we do. And then they say that there's also an activist aspect of critical race theory. So they train activists. That's the whole point of it. So critical race theory, they teach them that racism is endemic and it's inter interwoven into our society. And then they send activists out into society to do something about it, to deconstruct institutions where racism is and basically rebuild them from the ground up. Now, you'll also hear that, oh, it's only, it's only in law schools. Like, no, like, the, again, the founders also say that it's expanded into all other academic disciplines, including drum roll education. And so teachers, future teachers anyway, are being trained in critical race theory. And they, you, if you go to a university website, you can find that you can find evidence that they are teaching teachers critical race theory. That's part of the training regimen. So we're supposed to believe that somehow these future teachers are not being trained in critical race or are being trained in critical race theory, excuse me, but somehow they're not taking it to the K through 12 classrooms after they graduate. <laughs> it's just, right. it, it makes no sense. It's nonsense. So clearly <laughs> it's happening. But and one more thing I'll just say real quick is that yeah. the difference is they, they do technicalities. It's all manipulation. Everything about critical race theory is manipulation and trying to deflect, right? So they say you don't understand it or whatever. But they're technically correct that these teachers are not teaching it in public schools. That little proud family Disney thing was not teaching critical race theory. Like, that's technically correct. That's not teaching. It's application. It's praxis. It's they're applying the theory. They're treating the presuppositions as if they're correct, and then they're applying it in order to deconstruct the institutions. And as as Mao said during the Chinese Cultural Revolution, to wipe the old site clean so that a new site can be can be rebuilt. 
So that's what's happening. I, it's, I'm a little bit terrified because I don't know. I mean, I hope and pray there are enough people who see this for what it is and want to push back. I mean, we're, we're experiencing this in the freest country on planet earth. And, right. and I, I, the other three letters that concern me are diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sound really nice. They sound, Oh, diversity. That's beautiful. Inclusion. Who wouldn't want inclusion? You don't want exclusion, right. do you? And equity, right. which has somehow replaced equality, meaning right. we are going to force equal outcomes no matter what. Well, the only way to do that, as you well know, is to hold everyone to a really low standard because that's the only way it can you can guarantee equality is if everyone comes down to the lowest standard. And I can't... I. I this is mind-boggling to me. I was raised in a Latino family where we were urged to reach ex- for excellence, to raise ourselves to the highest standards. I, 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 I guess I'm just wondering, are there enough voices on the other side who see through this and who say, these words sound really nice, they sound empathetic, and God forbid you're called, if you, if you push back at all, you are called, as you said, a white supremacist, a racist, a bigot, the things you never want to be called, right? The worst things in the world, although the word racist is seemingly losing its value because it's being applied to everything. Like, everything, if you right? don't agree with me, you're just a racist. This is racism. Harry Styles won album of the year. It's racism. You know, even though Beyonce has won more Grammys than any person on God's green earth, Harry Styles winning that one was racist. I mean, I... I, I I don't know how anyone can say these things with a straight face anymore, Leanna. I, I, just feel, I, educate me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough because it, I liken it to arguing with somebody who believes the earth is flat. And <laughs> there's no amount of evidence you can provide that will change their mind. They, they will just dismiss everything. You know, you show them evidence and they'll say, no, that's, that's fake. That's fabric. Those are fake pictures. It's fabricated. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the conspiracy. Right. The, the fact that you prove me wrong just proves me right. And you see that all the time. It's just unfalsifiable. So that makes it challenging. Now, to your question, is there enough people? I think there are enough people who question it, who aren't sold on the ideology. You have your radical ideologues, because again, they're the loudest and they're going to make yes. the most noise and they're going to make their numbers seem seem huge. And everybody else is just kind of paralyzed and not really sure what to do or how to fight back. And it's partly because they don't really understand, I think, what is actually happening, um, why it's happening, and what these kind of, what these terms mean. Because like you said, diversity seems like a good idea. Uh, Equity even seems like a good idea if you don't understand it. In- inclusion, of course, like why would why who doesn't want to be inclusive? But right. when you look and see what they mean, because again, it comes down to manipulation. It, when you look what they see, what they mean when they say diversity, they don't mean the natural occurring diversity that might occur on a sports team, right? When you have uh, right. different diversity, like you have a quarterback, wide receiver, uh, you, have, you have defensive ends, whatever. These people are specialized skill sets. And that natural diversity helps the team succeed. But the kind of diversity that they're talking about is very superficial and arbitrary and based on progressive ideology, which in, in the book, I, I, liken, it, I liken it to uh, signing a wide receiver based on eye color, which makes no sense whatsoever because right. it has nothing to do with the job. But that's, the kind, that's what they mean. So 
when they say these terms like diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, social emotional learning, Black Lives Matter, anti-racism, all they really mean is shut up and capitulate to the ideology. That's what it means. And like, so people need to understand that they don't actually mean what they say. They're just trying to manipulate your value system in order to get you to bow down and worship their gods. And so people need to understand that and they need to stick to what they know is true. And hopefully more and more people do that. I see more and more pushback. And like I said, my book is, uh, is meant to give people more ammo so that they can fight back against that stuff. And then give give them a better remedy, you know. Let's like talk about colorblindness and and approaching things as as more of a post racial ideology, where we treat skin color as no more consequential to identity than hair color and eye color. And that's yeah. the remedy. If we start doing that instead of making everybody's identities so ingrained with race and skin color, then I think we can actually move forward as a country and have some uh, racial harmony in the future. Leonidas for president, everyone. Uh, his book is Raising <laughs> Victims, Raising Victims, the Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. When we come back, one more segment with Leonidas. We want to talk about the ammo that he does give us in his book to fight back. That's next. You know, all those phrases like follow the money and money changes everything and all the different sayings about money. It, it, they're there for a reason. Because money is really important. As much as you may wish it weren't, it is. And it's really important, not only in the short term, but in the long term. You want to be able to retire safely and soundly. And so gold and silver should be considered as a part of your investment portfolio. Because imagine taking your hard-earned money and putting it in stocks. You could lose, you could win, you don't know. But if you take your hard-earned money and you invest it in gold and silver, it's like putting it in a nice little bed, tucking it into sleep and protecting it and having it grow. It protects against inflation. It's a hedge against a weakening dollar. Remember 2008? That was not a good year. But those who invested in gold saw significant gains and others lost their retirements. Meanwhile, right now, gold prices are increasing as investors turn to gold for that protection. So protect your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals and do it soon because you want to be proactive while there's still time. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold, silver. You can speak to an IRA expert. Get all your questions answered at Legacy Precious Metals, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right. So Leonidas, you promised some ammo. Where do people start if they want if they want to push back without seeming like they're, you know, um, not empathetic? All all these things. I, where do you start? Because again, I, I after George Floyd, I live here in the Minnesota in the Minneapolis area. I reached out to friends of color who and tried to have conversations with why. Are we? What are we going to do now? What do we need to under to do to understand each other? Um, you know, how do we? Why? How do we talk to our kids about this? I wanted substantive conversations, yeah. and what I got um, was some of that, and some compassion, and some understanding, and some listening. But I also got that you know you don't know what it's like to walk outside as a black person i'm still afraid jim crow 2.0 mm -hmm. jim crow uh, this and this and this yeah. and 
of course I don't. And they don't know what it's like to be a brunette woman who's five foot six on a good day with two kids and who lives in my house. I mean, that's the way I look at it. We're all individuals, but you know, and, and none of us can entirely understand one another's existence. So where do we start? Yeah, well, I, just real quick to your point, that Bobby Basham calls that ethnic Gnosticism, which is this idea that minorities live this sort of esoteric existence that nobody could possibly understand. Like, oh, I'm black. You can't possibly understand what it's like to be black in America because it's so awful and horrible and very uniquely oppressive. And it's just, it, it's, it's ridiculous because we're all human beings. And, and like you said, we're individuals and, you know, we have individual experiences, but I mean, we live the human experience. And that's yes. Not, that's not difficult to understand. It's, it's, it's nonsense. But uh, as far as where do we start? Again, I'm not going to pretend like it's an easy, easy thing. And it's, you know, here's your checklist, just go out and do it. And then everything will be fine because we're dealing with a, very extreme ideology that's rooted in Marxism that aims to institute a cultural revolution in our society. So what people need to understand is that these people believe that racism is endemic and that it's interwoven into our, the entire fabric of our society, our entire country, even to the point where they believe that the foundation the the ideals of our country themselves are white supremacists. So like uh, the neutral principles of constitutional law, uh, enlightenment rationalism, the liberalism, like liberty and, and consent of the governed, things like that, free speech, all of these things are white supremacists and perpetuate white supremacy in their eyes. And therefore they believe that all of this needs to be torn down and rebuilt in this sort of, uh, Marxist communist utopia. So you have to understand the enemy. You have to understand what you're dealing with. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody that uh, goes along with it is is the enemy per se, but the people who want to destroy the country absolutely are. And you have to understand what what their ideology is and what where it comes from and what we're actually dealing with. Then the other side of it is you need to understand how they manipulate people and what, how they use words and language to manipulate conversations and make it seem like you're the bad guy. Uh, there's a couple different ways that I talk about in the book. There's things like the Kafka trap, which uh, Ibram X. Kendi has said explicitly that, you know, if, like, how did he put it? The denial is the heartbeat of racism. So <laughs> that means that you can never deny that you're racist if you're accused of racism, because that just right. proves that you're racist. Well, so I think nothing I, to do. I, right. I think the book White Fragility suggested that as well, where she said, yes. you know, if you say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a racist. She said, see, you can't handle the fact that you are a racist. And so then you're just forced to say, OK, I guess I'm a racist. I mean, yeah. you, you you can't win. That, that you have two choices. You can either yes. admit that you're racist or yes. you can deny it, which is proof that you're racist. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just the Kafka. It's, but if you understand what the Kafka trap is, then you can approach it and you can call it out and say that's a Kafka trap and it's it's fallacious reasoning. And uh, you know, I I, I liken it to the uh, like a loaded question where somebody asks you how long you've been beating your wife. Which you, know, you can't yeah, answer, right. you can't answer it without without acknowledging that you you, you beat your wife. But it's right. that same kind of nonsense. And then so yeah, you have that aspect, and then you have uh, the Mott and Bailey tactic, 
where they, again, Black Lives Matter is a good example of that, where they push radical ideology that you don't agree with. Like for instance, uh, pushing, pushing back against the nuclear family or it's the same, the nuclear family is not needed. So if you push back against that, then they'll say, oh, you, you think black lives don't matter. So they started in the Bailey, which was a more extreme idea that was not very fortified and easier to attack. And then they retreated to the Mott where they, it's much harder to attack. And it's something that most people would agree with, which is black lives matter. Everybody's going to agree with that. And then they tried to conflate the two. So if you understand that's how they make their arguments and they manipulate with, with that kind of language, they'll use words like compassion and empathy a lot. Yeah. It's like, oh, you don't, you don't agree that all, that you don't agree that all black people should get reparations. You have no compassion. It's like, wait a right. minute, that's not, <laughs> that's not, you're conflating two different things here. So uh, those kind of aspects, and I talk about multiple different things in the book and uh, different ways that they manipulate language and, and, and what kind of tactics they use. So if, I think if you're aware of them, I think it helps. So if you know where yeah. the ideology comes from, the history, if you know what they believe, um, and because you, if you're making any argument, this it goes well beyond critical race theory. Michelle. Like if, if you're making any argument at all, you have to understand your opponent's argument, like probably almost at least as well as they do, sometimes better right. than they do, in right. order to make an effective counter argument. And so you right. need to understand what critical race theory is, where it comes from, and then understand the tactics that they're using to manipulate people. Because this stuff operates in darkness. It, yeah. I, it once you shine a light on it, it's it's like roaches. It's got, they scatter and they say, "Oh no, that's not that's not what we're doing." Because they know, like if you expose what you, what they're doing, then people people won't be on board with it and they'll push back. So, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.